Good morning. Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. I invite you to turn to Matthew 6 again. In our study of the Sermon on the Mount, we're ready for verse 19 of chapter 6. We had some months earlier looked at Jesus' teaching on giving, on prayer, and fasting, and then went back and looked at the Lord's Prayer. So now we are ready to cover verse 19, starting at verse 19 to the end of the chapter, which today we're only going to make it halfway to the end. In verses 19 through 34, we have some of the most challenging and maybe difficult teachings of Jesus. Teachings about our attitude towards money and possessions. And I say it's difficult because... Money and possessions are things that we all have, and we all have to have. We can't get away from needing money and possessions. It's a fact of of our lives. But in our human thinking, we tend to think that the more I have, the better off I am. In fact, we judge people according to their money and their possessions. I don't know if you've ever thought about that and thought about how really, how silly it is. But we judge people according to what vehicle they drive, uh, the house they live in, how that house is decorated inside, how it's landscaped outside, what clothes they wear, whether they're in style or not. Those types of things are, are what we base our judgments of people on. And, and if you think about it, it, it's so true. That is what we base, at least our initial judgments of almost everybody on. It's a very poor way to judge character. And I'll illustrate it by this. Have you ever seen the person driving a $60,000 pickup truck living in a $30,000 house trailer that they're paying five or $600 a month rent for. We see that person in one setting, and they might have the designer clothes in the $60,000 pickup truck, and we go, hmm, that guy is doing okay. But then we see where he lives, and the fact that he's struggling to make his 
monthly payments. And we realized that the image that we judged from was very false. Our natural tendency is to put a high value on money and possessions and the appearance that that creates for a person. But Jesus, in these verses, strongly challenges that way of thinking. And it's a challenge that we need because it has a powerful spiritual consequence for our lives. I want you to think about the fact of where Jesus put this teaching. Jesus had just taught about giving, about prayer, and about fasting. And he immediately went into teaching about our attitudes towards money and possessions. And I think that's because the issue of money and possessions and what we do with them, our attitude towards them, is not something that is separate from our spiritual lives. But in reality, it's, it's very much a part of our spiritual lives. What we do with these things, our attitude towards them, will affect our relationship with God. There are spiritual consequences for how we handle our money and our possessions and how we view them. That's why Jesus included this teaching here where he did. And I also want to make it clear at the beginning that I have not arrived I personally have been challenged very much by this section of the Sermon on the Mount. But I hope that it's a challenge to each of you as well. So at this point, I'd like to read verses 19 through 24. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. If thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness! No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus begins this section by saying that we are not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. Notice, Jesus does not tell us that we are not to lay up treasures. 
The desire to lay up and to accumulate is a God-given desire. It's just that we so often misapply it. We want to lay up treasures on earth because that's where we are. It's where we live. It's what we know. It's what we can see. It's earthly treasures that give us a certain sense of security in this life. Also, as I said before, they serve as a status symbol to elevate us and to make us look better in the eyes of others. But think about all those things about earthly treasures. They're about self. They're about self-sufficiency. It's about self-promotion. It's about being able to lay our hands on something physical. And that's why we have a tendency towards laying up treasures on earth. Because by nature, we're self-centered. Our focus is earthly. Our fleshly focus and desires. We don't want to invest in something we can't see. We don't want to lay up our hard-earned money somewhere where we can't go and access it or gain some enjoyment from it. We want it here. We want it now. We want to be able to see and handle the fruit of our labors in this life. But Jesus also tells us that there's a risk with laying up treasures on earth. He says that when we lay up treasures on earth, we're opening ourselves up to the risk of loss, decay, and theft. He says if we lay them up on earth, we're we're making ourselves liable to the moth and rust and to thieves. Nothing stays new. No investment is 100% secure in this life. So anytime we lay up treasure in this life, in this world, that treasure is at risk. We've built two new houses for our family to live in in the last 20 years. And I have been amazed with both dwellings, how rapidly a new house begins to show wear and how quickly components start to show signs of decay. New doesn't stay new very long. It's a fact of life that everything in this world is subject to decay. And yet, we have such a strong desire to invest in decaying things. Because 
we perceive a certain security and a certain status that those things give us. And the fact is, is that decay and uncertainty is what drives the insurance industry of our time. There's a great need for people that have much earthly possessions to try to insure their possessions against loss and decay. It's inevitable. The things of this world are decaying. But as I said, Jesus doesn't condemn laying up treasures. He only condemns laying them up at the wrong place. We see in verse 20, he says to lay up treasures in heaven. And as we think about that, a couple of questions may come to our minds. Why? Why should we lay up treasures in heaven? And the easy answer is that it is secure. It's the opposite of the picture I just painted of earthly treasures that decay and degenerate or are at risk of loss. Heaven is a place of secure investment, a place where there's no risk of decay, corrosion, or theft. If you could go out tomorrow and offer the world an investment that is 100% secure and that has guaranteed returns, you'd have people beating a path to your door. It's what people want, but yet they overlook the fact that it's readily available if we invest in the right things at the right place. So we should invest our treasures in heaven because it's secure. The second question we might ask is, how do we go about laying up treasures in heaven? That's a question we must answer. We must understand how if Jesus commands us to do it. Fortunately, even though Jesus doesn't go into a lot of detail in this passage on how to do it, he does elsewhere. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, starting at verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard the, these things, he said unto him, 
Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And we heard this, he is very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye, through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. In this account, we have this man who came to Jesus. He seemed to have a strong desire to do what was right. He's asking Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus lists some things that needed to be done. And he said, well, I've, I've done those things. And we sense that this man felt like there was something more that maybe he should be doing. And so Jesus, looking at him, saw that there was, there was something holding him back. It says that he was a very rich man. And Jesus saw that that was holding him back from serving God wholeheartedly. And so Jesus' instructions to him was to transfer his wealth from earthly treasures to heavenly. And he told him how to do it. He said, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. So Jesus told us right there how to do it. He was to sell his possessions and give to the poor to build earthly treasure. Jesus makes it clear here that we're not to build earthly or that to build earthly treasures we don't need to just give them away but we're to use them for the good of others and for the advancement of God's kingdom. Now you might say that Jesus instructions to this man were simply specific to him and his individual need because he was hung up on his possessions. But that's not the case. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 12. In Luke 12, we find Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. And each person that tells a story tends to Told a little differently, include some different details. So we have Luke giving some details here that are not in Matthew's account. Let's look at verses 33 and 34. 
Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags, which, which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. Here Jesus was telling all of his followers, all who were listening to him, sell your possessions, give to the poor, which will in turn provide bags that wear that won't wear out or get holes in them, which signifying a loss, you know, a, a, a bag that's dribbling out your possessions isn't a very secure holding place. He says it's a treasure that faileth not or is inexhaustible and it's safe. Again, we see here that it's safe from thieves and from deterioration. So Jesus' instruction for laying up treasure in heaven and how to do it is for all of us, not just for the, this rich man who came to Jesus. Now I want to make it clear that I don't think that Jesus was saying that we're to give away everything we have and then live in a cardboard box. But rather, that we need to be open in sharing with our possessions. It's an attitude of our lives. Paul, in writing about giving, said in 2 Corinthians eight thirteen and 14, For I mean not that other men be eased, and ye burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, and that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. Notice Paul's instructions for giving wasn't to bring one group of people to poverty just so that somebody else could be, could be aided, but rather an equality, a meeting of needs back and forth within the church. Now this is specifically speaking of giving within the church, but I believe the principle here is that we need to view our possessions as a means to help others, not just a means of collecting for myself to make my life easy or, or to enhance my status. As a side note to that, have you ever considered what would happen within the church if everyone did what Paul said here and gave freely out of their abundance to meet where somebody had a lack? And then when that person had abundance, they gave freely to meet other needs. I think it's a concept that we, we failed to grasp completely how, sufficient, how sufficiently we could provide for, our, for the needs of God's people if we would but be a little more generous. Also, moving on on this subject of laying up treasure in heaven, we need to wrap our minds around the fact that giving is an investment. 
That's what Jesus was saying in these references we looked at in Luke. He was instructing to sell possessions, to give to the poor, and in turn, build up treasures in heaven. So it's an investment. You know, we all face an endless stream of bills. Things that we need to live cost money. We have to work to gain money, to get the things we need, and it it seems sometimes like it's an endless cycle. We call those things consumables. There's a lot of things we need to live that are consumables. We buy them, we use them, we throw the container away, we go buy more. And that money just disappears. We write a check, we swipe the credit card, and we kiss that money goodbye. Is that how we view giving? When we pass the offering basket and you put a dollar bill in the offering basket, are you kissing that money goodbye? Or are you investing that money? According to what Jesus says, when we place our money in the offering basket or we write a check to Christian Aid Ministries or wherever you might be giving, we're making an investment in the most secure account in the universe. Yet sometimes... We feel like we're paying a bill. We feel like we're just giving because it's our obligation, because we need to. But really, that's not what Jesus says it is. He says it's an an investment. That money's not going forever. It's being invested in heaven. As an example of that, I thought about our church schools every month there's a tremendous need for funds we make these announcements from the CDS committee monthly because there's a tremendous need for money to keep our schools running That money, is, is, it, is it an expense or is it an investment? That money is going to provide an education in a Christian setting for many children. And we do it because we believe that it will have a positive spiritual impact on the lives of those children. An impact that hopefully will affect their eternal destiny in a positive way. And so we put our money in the offering basket for our schools. And as we do that, we're investing in the eternal destiny of many souls. According to the figures that I have, this year... In our conference-operated schools, 
we have the opportunity to bless 228 souls for eternity when we support our schools. Is that an expense or is that an investment? And if we, if, if we influence the majority of those students in a positive spiritual way, and they make a decision to serve the Lord, and they go out and live a life of dedication to the Lord and of service to Him, our investment has just grown by 228 souls. And their investment can continue to grow. And so as we give, we're making an investment. Not in this life, so to speak, but an investment in souls and an investment in eternity. On the subject of laying up treasures in heaven, there's a story told, it's kind of a cute story, of two men, and, and actually, as I was preparing this, I had to think about the story that uh, Davey read a couple Sundays ago about the two brothers, the one who him and his wife went to Africa to be missionaries, and the other brother who him and his wife decided that, well, we can't go, but we're going to give and support my brother who can go. And so they lived poorly, and people looked at them and wondered why they didn't appear as prosperous as their neighbors. Unknown to them, they were making an investment in the other brother's missionary endeavors. But the stories told of two men, one who in this life appeared to be quite well-to-do, and the other who never seemed to make much of, his, of himself in life. The time came that the poor man died and went to heaven. Later, the rich man also died. And when he got to heaven, he saw this poor man, and there he was, and he had this tremendous, huge mansion. And he thought, wow, I wonder where my mansion is. So he asked the poor man, he said, do you know where my mansion is? He said, yeah, I do. He said, come with me. And so the poor man took him to the outskirts of heaven, and he showed him this little chicken coop. And he said, here's your mansion. And, and the, the rich man said, you know, no, this, something's wrong. You, you have this huge elaborate mansion, and you say, this is mine? And the poor man said, uh, you, just, you, you just need to understand. They built these with what we sent ahead. Obviously, that's a made-up story. But yet, it gives us a vivid illustration of what it means to lay up treasures in heaven. Are we laying up for this life, for what we can attain here today, for the ease, the comfort, the status that it gives us here in this life? 
are we laying up for that day? Moving on to verse 21, Jesus tells us that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is saying that if we invest, if our focus is investing in earthly things, our heart will be firmly grounded right there where our treasures are. But if we invest in heavenly things, our heart will be found there. You know, sometimes we like to try to turn this around and say that our heart is where our treasure is. In other words, it doesn't matter how much stuff I have in this life, as long as I love God, and as long as my heart's there with God, it doesn't, you know, all these things don't matter. But that's not what Jesus said. Rather, he simply stated the principle that where we amass wealth or treasure is where our heart is going to be. And I think it's a simple fact that we can't get around. That our heart follows our treasure. If we build earthly wealth, our heart is going to be wrapped up in earthly things. If we build heavenly wealth, our heart will be wrapped up in heavenly things. To try to say it any other way is to contradict what Jesus said. Think about it. A person whose focus is on material things and building earthly wealth often will not have time for God's work in the church. Material things will crowd out a meaningful devotional life. Church attendance will become secondary to work schedules. And there'll be little time for serving others in the church and in the community because other commitments are more important. Other commitments to material things. These things, our, our, our view, our desire for a personal devotional life, church attendance, being there to help others in need, are a fairly accurate barometer of how we view material things, where our heart really is, whether it's on earthly things or on heavenly things. I thought right before revival meetings was a good time to mention that. So you will expect everybody here every night now. And I have to admit that looking at myself and looking back at my life, some of that hits home pretty hard. As I see where I have failed, where I have allowed things of the earthly nature to crowd out more important things. And I encourage you each to consider where you're at personally. Where are your actions saying that your treasure is stored?
because they speak loud and clear if we're honest. Our actions don't lie, but they reveal the underlying truth of where our heart really is. Will we dedicate our time, our talents, and our money to what is important to us? To things, excuse me, I said that wrong. We will dedicate our time and our talents and our money to what is important to us. We'll dedicate them to where our heart is. Moving on to verses 22 and 23. Talks about our eye being single or our eye being evil. These verses are a little hard maybe to wrap our our minds around and commentators go different places with them. But the eye, he's speaking of our eye being single. A lot of translations will say that is our eye being good or some, some type of uh, word like that. So if our eye is good or single, we'll be looking out for others and their needs. But if our eye is evil, we're going to be looking only upon ourselves or our own selfish desires. I'd like to look at two Proverbs Proverbs 22, verse 9. Give us a little insight. Into this thing of, of the evil eye and the single or the good eye. Proverbs 22, 9. It says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed. For he giveth of his bread to the poor. Notice that. A bountiful eye is someone who is a giving person. He's giving to the poor. And it says he'll be blessed. That sounds like what Jesus said about storing up treasures in heaven. Giving to the poor. Turn over to to Proverbs 28. Verse 22, he that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Here's the other extreme. The man who rather than looking out for the needs of others, has his heart set on gaining riches for himself. And he's described as having an evil eye. But notice also the end. The, the man with the, with the bountiful eye, it said, would be blessed. But the man with the evil eye, it says that poverty shall come upon him. And this is just surmising on my part. I didn't read commentaries on that verse. But I had to wonder, is that poverty... Speaking of something more than financial poverty. Is that speaking of a spiritual poverty? That this man whose focus is on material things will end up bankrupting his soul. The overall theme here in these verses 22 and 23 in Matthew 6 is that our outlook 
or I, or I determines our direction or our life focus. Either we're going to have an inward focus of what can I get for myself or an outward focus of looking out for the needs of others. We're going to either have that eye that is continually lusting and desiring for more, like John D. Rockefeller, who was said to have said when when asked how much more he needed, he said, just a little more. Or we'll have an eye that is focused on God's kingdom, focused on the needs of others. And the result is light versus darkness, blessing versus poverty. And finally, verse 24, Jesus gives us a clear statement that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and mammon or God and money. We like to think that we can, but Jesus leaves no room. He doesn't say it's difficult to, or if you try hard enough, you might be able to. He says you cannot. We need to get this truth riveted in our minds because it's an area where we are easily distracted spiritually. Like I said at the beginning, we, we have to have money and possessions to live. We can't just do without. So they're an ever-present temptation for us to shift our focus and to put... the emphasis of our life on the material things rather than in God. In the parable of the sower, Jesus gave a similar warning when he was telling his disciples the meanings of the different soils in the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13, 22, he said, He also that received seed among the thorn is he that heareth the word And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. Here the warning is the cares of the material things in life can easily be allowed to choke out the spiritual concern in our lives. In commenting on that verse, Matthew 13, 22, Adam Clark said this, Dreadful stupidity of man, thus to barter spiritual for temporal good, a heavenly inheritance for an earthly portion. I will read that again. Dreadful stupidity of man, thus to barter spiritual for temporal good, a heavenly inheritance for an earthly portion. That's what we do when we focus on money and possessions instead of spiritual things. We trade spiritual good for temporal good. We trade an eternal inheritance for an earthly portion, one that won't last, one that's not secure. We're very short-sighted beings. 
And pretty much the only thing that our physical, fleshly bodies can see is the life that we now live. And our minds tell us that we need to do all we can to make our lives easy, to enjoy life, and to, pr- to, to promote self. Some of you have maybe heard me say this before, but our flesh cares little for our spiritual good. It only cares for our temporal good, our temporal pleasures. And because of that, our natural tendency is is to focus on the material and not the spiritual. So if we're going to heed Jesus' warnings in these verses, we have to be diligent. And we have to be purposeful. In the decisions and in the direction of our lives. If we aren't purposeful and diligent, we'll most, almost certainly go astray and find ourselves entangled in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And why are riches deceitful? It's because they give a false security. We place a certain trust in our possessions, our money, our ability to earn. And in turn, because we place a degree of trust in those things, we fail to fully rely on God. And in my observation, I don't feel like I'm that terribly old yet, but I've lived long enough to observe the lives of a lot of people And in my observation, the pursuit of money and wealth is one of the greatest poisons that the Christian encounters. Yet it is so easy for us to slip into the mindset of pursuing those things. So in closing this morning, I'd like to ask, Where are you in relation to material things and possessions? Is your focus on laying up things in this earth, on this earth, in this life? Are you investing in the things of God, investing in heavenly things? Like I said, this section on the Sermon on the Mount has probably been more challenging to me than any other section, making me see that I have room to grow in how I view these things. And I hope that it's been a challenge to you as well, because I believe that it's a subject of utmost importance if we're going to have a correct focus and to lay up treasures that really count. If our focus is on material things in life, it's almost certainly going to lead us and our families astray and weaken God's church. So I ask, how is it with you? I challenge you to 
strongly consider these things along with me. Next time, Lord willing, we'll look at the remainder of the chapter where he talks about worrying, worrying about providing these material things for ourselves versus trusting in God's provision. I think that's another very important aspect because if we're going to have our focus right, we must learn to trust. So God bless you as you consider these things and as you endeavor to lay up treasures in heaven where they truly count. God bless you.